What's up, people? Another episode of Just for Sport. Jamoke Davis here, just for you, as we're talking about sports. And it was a really, really great weekend across the board leading into, look, October is the best month in sports to me. But there's always talk that this is the best week. Masters, final game of NCAA, Final Four. You got basketball, hockey, baseball's just starting. I was wearing my Masters 2020 shirt yesterday. I'm so happy. Got, got that delivered a few months ago. Finally broke it out. It was a nice day yesterday. A tad bit cold, so you need a nice little long sleeve, but not too heavy. Felt great wearing it. But, bottom line. It was just overall a great weekend, and this is, bottom line, a great week. I'm going to first start talking about the Gonzaga-UCLA game. Now, first of all, I had UCLA covering. Thought the game would be close. It proved, obviously, to be close. And Jalen Suggs had his one shining moment. That was amazing. No doubt about it. But the question is, was it the best shot ever? And I would say, no. It was really good. I know that... Skip Bayless got killed for saying it was a lucky shot, but realistically, he's not wrong. Come on, it was a bank shot. It was like Paul Pierce with the Wizards. I call bank. I don't think he should have been killed for that. It was a lucky shot for a team that is, if they win tonight, is going to go in the record books as, you know, one of what four undefeated teams ever. To win the NCAA tournament. And there's nothing wrong with saying there was a little bit of luck. It was. It's pretty much a half-court shot that he banked in. When everybody thought we were going to double overtime. So in my mind, it still ranks below Chris Jenkins for Villanova. Because his shot won the national championship. Another three-pointer. So that's number one. Do I put it ahead of Christian Leitner? No. Because Christian Leitner's shot, while it wasn't to win a championship, it was only the Elite Eight game. But I think the fact that Christian Leitner was one, he had missed a shot all game, I thought it was really weird. Almost poor defense from Kentucky, the way he just caught it with ease. As I mentioned, it was only in the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four. But to put it down on the ground and take a turnaround jumper that did not bank in, it was straight swish. I put that number two. And Jalen Suggs, number three. I mean, if you picked Gonzaga as a favorite, you put money down on Gonzaga. Versus me, 
who said, no, I think you go with UCLA as the underdog. I came out on top. But it was a really good shot. It was a cool moment. And actually, I have to confess the most crazy thing. It was late, y'all. It was late. And I fell asleep and had to watch the replay. Just for a little bit on a commercial. I just, I, I was laying down watching. All of a sudden, I wake up. It's like, hey, wait, it's over? I was barely asleep. What I would say, maybe five, ten minutes. But it was a great game in... Juzang made a name for himself with UCLA. I think he should go pro. Johnny Juzang. What a game. What a game. And so tonight, because the Baylor game was a sleeper, right? It was a snoozer. They crushed Houston. Nobody expected Houston to win that game. I certainly didn't either. And now we have the game everybody wanted anyway. Gonzaga, Baylor. And Baylor is favored at minus four and a half, which I even called that. I think I said I thought it was going to open at four. I'll take the over at 158 and a half. But this game should be a doozy. There's no doubt about that. And I hope it's going to have the drama that the women's tournament had in their final, which I will get into in a little bit. But this was, this was what we all wanted. We wanted to see, and, and, and how exciting would it be for you to say in your lifetime, for us younger people out there that didn't see some of the undefeated days, Back in the day, I can't even name you all of the the teams off the top of my head. I got to go back and look at it. There were seven in the NCAA tournament era. The last one was 72, was March of 73, was UCLA at 30 and 0. Indiana went 32-0 and in 75-76. Four UCLA's in North Carolina and a San Francisco. So I didn't watch any of those. But this should be fun. And it would be neat to see history here. To see Gonzaga go undefeated. And you can say you were there. You saw it. I remember. Gosh when was that? Not October. Was it October? Maybe December when they were supposed to play in the regular season. It got postponed. Well they're going to meet for the top prize. Gonzaga's 31 and 0. They can tie Indiana at 32 and 0 as the most wins in college basketball in the undefeated season. And the Bears are right behind them at 27 and 2. I was a half a point off of what I thought it would open. 
the odds would open at the Bears. Baylor Bears crushed the Houston Cougars. Can Bears beat Cougars in real life? They beat them 78 to 59. So it really wasn't much of a game. After the first, you know, five, ten minutes, you were like, oh yeah, Baylor's gonna win this. They're gonna win this game. The Bears have the the games that the Bears have played in have gone over in the last four games. And they're averaging 75 points per game in the tournament. 4-1 against the spread. The defense, though. They, the Cougars only had 20 points in the first half. Shot 38%. And if you look at Gonzaga, it was the defense of the Bruins. Another bear, right? The Bruins, I believe the mascot's a bear. That kind of stifled Gonzaga and took him the overtime. Gonzaga's 4-0 against the spread in their first four games of the NCAA tournament, not the last one. They did almost win straight up. 14 and a half point underdogs. Gonzaga does have Drew Timmy, and I mentioned Jalen Suggs. Drew Timmy was better in the second half than in the first. I think they should have went at Drew Timmy a little more. Timmy time when he had the four fouls, and they didn't. And that was probably the best sequence. That reminds me of, I don't know if that's right, say it reminds me of LeBron James. I feel like it was two plays when uh, Jalen Suggs got the block on one end. Also recovered the ball, got it to Timmy for the dunk on the other end. But this game, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Some little tidbits here. Baylor is five and two straight up in their last seven games as an underdog. Gonzaga 16-13 and two against the spread in their last 31 games. And take the over if you're any game you're you're including Baylor. They're 14 and 3 in the in their last 17 games with the over. I'm taking the over. This is the first time that Baylor is the underdog, and I'm sure they're using that as bulletin board material in this game. It reminds me of the year that I believe Duke beat UNLV when UNLV was trying to go for an undefeated season. So I'm sure in many ways. They have got a bullseye on Gonzaga. Gonzaga on ESPN. The Basketball Power Index says Gonzaga. Most More people are picking it. 54.8% of the people are picking Gonzaga over Baylor. I'm just hoping for a good game. That's what I want. I want to see a good game. Baylor is averaging 82.8 points per game this season. Gonzaga's at 91 so they're nine points apart there, but they're also nine points apart on defense as well. Gonzaga's allowing 69.4 points per game, while Baylor is allowing 60. This is going to be fun. 
This is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to it. And I'm sure you are too. On the other side, did you watch the women's tournament? The final was yesterday. Stanford won 54-53. I don't know if you'd say that this was a... um, a low-scoring game in women's basketball. But Arizona, eight points in the first quarter, 16, 16, and 13 in the second, third, and fourth. Stanford, 15, 16 points, 15, 12, and 11. Not many points scored. So the ending was great. But overall, if I look at the game, I was like, yeah, it's okay. Friday's games had more points scored and more drama. Arizona upsetting UConn. They won that game 69-59. to And then Stanford beat South Carolina 66-55. to What a wild game there. South Carolina had two shots at the end to win it and couldn't. In the finals, in the final game, I think Arizona, they had a good shot. But Ari McDonald, being triple teamed, probably should have, I should say probably, it's tough when you're on the court playing. I'm just saying that there were maybe, I know when you're the star and you want to put the team on your back in that situation, I think of like Jordan with Steve Kerr or John Paxson. Get the ball to somebody else who's open to make the game-winning shot and celebrate your championship. So from that aspect, it was unfortunate that Arizona lost after making a really solid run. But the other thing for me is that there's a lot of talk about the level of respect that women's college basketball has gotten. And it started with the the weight room issue. I would like to think, try not to really vilify the NCAA, and you know there are times that I do, The weights were coming, right? Come on, you really didn't think it was just that one little thing of 10 weights. But there you had the video. Maybe they were ordered late. Should have been there earlier. In my mind, that's a possibility. That actually is what the NCAA will always hold on to. Hey, they were coming all they were they were gonna get there. We weren't gonna leave an empty open space. But where should women's, and realistically, we're talking about two sports that have been really at the forefront of, hey, there we need to see changes. And that's women's basketball and women's soccer. I would argue that those two sports are the most high profile and have the most high profile players that often talk about the lack of respect in women's sports. I would push back and say that I think we maybe have it wrong in some ways. And I am mostly talking about the women's tournament in the NCAA and the NCAA's role in it. Not going to take too long going into it because I'm going to start with this. Which network was showing the NCAA tournament? the entirety of the tournament, ESPN. And I find it interesting that the day after the tournament, when you still should be in the euphoria of 
Stanford winning a title. And the top headlines don't even have that listed. The top headlines on ESPN.com doesn't even have the fact that the women's basketball team of Stanford University won the championship as of when I'm recording this at 12.45 p.m. We've got Barcelona trying to get Holland. Curry dubs search for answers after losing 7 of 8. MLS, NWSL to test concussion protocol. Paul George saying Rondo is an instant leader for the for the Clippers. Otani limping after a great pitching performance and hitting performance from him with the Angels last night, which was also on ESPN. Georgia adds a former West Virginia University cornerbacks to their team. Ex-Miami head coach Shannon joins Florida State as an analyst, FSU. And in the Bucks, quarterback Davis tweets anti-Asian slur. Those are the top headlines. And then ESPN Plus is the men's NCAA hoops title game, best bets. Bryson DeChambeau has the big picture on ESPN. And then below that, it talks about the men's championship tonight. You scroll down and you can see how Haley Jones helped Stanford win NCAA title. So there are many places that there is a lack of respect for the women's game. But I don't know how much of that you can put on the NCAA when it comes down to money. And this is where I go into it. Yes, the women's college game is growing in popularity. No doubt about that. I enjoy reading the article by Sally Jenkins in the Washington Post about it. And I would implore you to do the same as well. And read other articles while you're at it about this issue. Before you sound off or go on Twitter and say something, maybe you hearing me is going to help you come up with an answer a more informed answer for yourself. I don't fault anyone for where you stand on this position, but I'm going to put a few numbers out there. March Madness for the men. It's a multi-billion dollar business. They recently extended the contract for $19.6 billion for Turner and CBS. That's a 22-year deal. The different teams in the conferences are going to make money off of this. A team making a Cinderella run can pay for their program, I'm sure. Now, the deal for the women's tournament isn't just for the women's tournament. It's a $500 million deal over 14 years. And you heard that right. One is a $19.6 billion deal just for March Madness, just for the NCAA men's tournament. In the women's tournament is lumped in with 24 other men's and women's sports for their 14-year deal. $500 million. Now, the NCAA says the women's basketball tournament doesn't turn a profit. Is that the reason why they did this deal? See, in my mind, I flip it when you're like, oh, that's an insult. How can you do that? How can you... Put them, what, what are you saying? Because I feel like you're on one hand saying the other sports don't matter and you're only saying, oh, well, 
I only think the NCAA women's basketball matters, so that's all that I'm focusing on. I don't, I, you know, I'm just more just wondering what other people might say. But my thing, if there was more money, And even in Sally Jenkins' article, she had Daniel Rasher, who's a financial, he's an economist and a financial analyst for a firm, OSKR, who studied the NCAA self numbers and testified that he doesn't see how they lose money on it. But in my mind and in your mind, here's the one question you would ask. If there was more money in it, then why wouldn't the NCAA say, no, we're not taking 500 million. We need a billion dollars for this tournament, right? If this is a capitalist society and you're saying the money is there, then the NCAA would want it. Whether you say they're corrupt or not, if the money was there, they would say, give it to me, which of course goes into the corrupt aspect of the NCAA and how we're talking about all oh, players should be paid. So bottom line is you cannot have it both ways with the NCAA. If the money was there, they would want it because they're corrupt as we say it, right? So they wouldn't sign a $500 million deal. They would say, no, we need a billion. We need 2 billion for the women's basketball tournament. They would be stupid to sign a deal for 500 million if it was turning a profit. According to ESPN's VP of Programming and Acquisitions, Carol Stiff said the 2019 Women's Final Four increased by 8%. And that's why the network decided to air all of the games. She also said, quote, these changes will only further celebrate a great sport with a tremendous fan base, end quote. She put that in the press release that I was reading. And what I want to present to you is if we're saying the NCAA is corrupt and all they are is about money, they want to make money. They would not sign for 500 million if there was more to be made. They would say, give me more. And we're all in agreement. Yes, then that should be dispersed amongst not just the conferences and the schools, but the players. And as we talked about, that's going to be very difficult to decide. Who gets all of that money? Should it be Adia Barnes, the coach of Arizona, for what she did for the school in leading the team? Should it be Ari McDonald from Arizona for how good she is? Should it be almost a whole daggone uh, Beckers from UConn? It's going to be very difficult to decide who gets paid what. Paige Beckers. Arguably the best player in college basketball right now. How much of that $500 million does she, does she get? There's no easy answer. But I present to you a case that I think is plain as day. For anyone to say the women's game is being disrespected, they're not getting enough attention, they're not getting enough money, I just ask the question, then why would the NCAA sign a $500 million deal if they could get more? Are you saying that just because, just out of spite, they don't want $600, 700 $800 million, as greedy as we say the NCAA is? 
that they would just on purpose just say, no, we're only going to sign for 500 million just to prove a point. I just don't see it. We can't say that they're all about money on one side and on the other side say, oh, well, actually they're not. It's a business. It's about making money. So I just don't buy it. I, I just, I think we got a ways to go. And I want to see us get there. I'm certainly in no way saying, oh, the women's game doesn't deserve to be highlighted. I just find that odd to say, yes, that's the case. But, you know, I wouldn't leave money on the table. You wouldn't leave money on the table. So why would you expect the NCAA to do the same? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. All right, I'm going to enjoy tonight's NCAA tournament. I'm continuing to enjoy the NBA. And I'm going to end it on this quick note. The MVP race. Nikola Jokic is the leading contender for the MVP race. And I'm good with that. I'm good with that. I think there's a little too much hype in who should be the MVP. And I think it's too much about name. And I know we have the rest of the season to go. It's not James Harden in my mind. Don't give me that James Harden talk, okay? He plays with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. If you want to say he's the MVP of that team because Kevin Durant's been out for some time, Kyrie Irving's been out, I'll give you that. But to me, he's not the MVP of the league. He plays with two superstars. Giannis is Giannis. He's at plus 700. But I would say to you, you need to not forget the two players who are playing on the best teams in the NBA by record. Put your money down on them before it's too late. I already told you one. I got Chris Paul. He's at plus 15,000. I got it at plus 25,000. And I would say to you, don't make the mistake, especially if you're somebody who can vote. Don't just look at the hype of who the name is on the back of the jersey. Look at the team and what they've done. To me, that's a true MVP. And what Chris Paul has done to help elevate the Suns, who have the second best record in the NBA at 34 and 14, is something to look at. Because Devin Booker wasn't getting it done by himself. It's unfair to say just by himself, but we know he was the best player on that team. But even I, when I was thinking about that, like, yo, get your money in on Chris Paul, which is a long shot to win, and it's unfair for him to be a long shot because he has the second best record in the NBA. But who has the best record in the NBA? It's the Utah Jazz, and that's one Donovan Mitchell. He's got Rudy Gobert on defense, but the Utah Jazz, you know and I know, they go the way of Donovan Mitchell. That, in my mind, is an MVP, and you can get him at plus 8,000. That's an easy bet. And it should be for anybody who can vote on the MVP. It would be a disgrace for you to overlook him. And yet, obviously, it is because he's at plus 8,000. 80 to 1. Put a dollar on there. Why not? That's my last tidbit. I could go on and on about that, but I'm going to call it. Thanks for listening to Just for Sport. I'm Jamoke. Ciao for now.